Well, I arrived uh, this morning with a jacket, but I uh, had to take the jacket off because I'd probably only make it halfway through the sermon, fall down on the ground. You guys would think that something miraculous happened and I just would have passed out. So the jacket has been left and hopefully uh, we can all engage together with God's word. Use that fan. Go grab another one. Use two. We're going to move through this, but we know that God's word is good for us. Amen. Are we good to stay together? Okay, good. So this week I was uh, processing uh, this sermon series that we're launching this morning. And the sermon series is called Soul Care. And we're looking at six topics that affect the life of our city and our society. They affect our mind and our heart and our soul. Very light topics like anxiety and loneliness and depression and shame and anger and burnout. So we wanted to move from Judges, which was light, to another light series uh, being Soul Care. But we felt like this was important to start the fall because as we know, these topics aren't just things that people out there struggle with. We struggle with them. They affect us deeply. And if you have been coming to church for a period of time, if you have been in church leadership, if you have come to faith in Christ and you're a member of Crossroads Pinecrest, you're just checking us out, we all together as God's people rely on something every single Sunday when we gather under his word. And that is that we rely on the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us. It's not the, the skill of the communicator or the outline that the preacher creates that transforms us and speaks truth to us. It's God's word that the Holy Spirit applies as we listen and engage together. And I was contemplating that for this series because it's a sensitive series with sensitive issues that are real struggle, struggles and disorders that we deal with. And so I felt the weight of that, that Myself and all of us together need to sit and rely this morning for the next six weeks, in particular, on the Holy Spirit to apply his word and his truth to us. Because the truth is, these matters that we're dealing with feel to many of us like gears that are locked in our head that we can't shift out of. And maybe this topic this morning, anxiety, feels like that. You struggle with anxiety disorder, with panic attacks, with feeling overwhelmed and feeling like you've lost control. And it, it's, you can't shift out of it no matter how hard you try. Maybe loneliness and depression and anger and burnout and shame are those gears locked in your head. Or maybe you experience these things more like a wheel that rotates in your head and you experience them at times and in moments and in seasons and certain situations. But the truth is, all of us, on some level, to some degree, struggle with these things. So we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So can we pray again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak this morning as we look at anxiety? Let's pray. God, we ask you to remind us that you care for us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to confirm the truth of your word in our heart. May it bring victory. May we see a path forward to care for those things that affect us so deeply. Would you give us truth this morning and not lies? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, anxiety is what we're kicking off the series with, and I don't have to run through the statistics to let you know that this is an issue in our society, but I'll share a few statistics with you anyway. Some of the statistics that have come out in the last year reveal that about 30% of American adults at some point in their life will struggle with an anxiety disorder. 
Not just anxiety, but an anxiety disorder where it really is locked in your head and your life like a gear. And women are two times as likely to suffer from anxiety. I think that's because men are two times as likely to be egotistical and to think that they have everything in control. But women are two times as likely to suffer from anxiety. And anxiety and depression have a really close link. In fact, 50% of people that struggle with anxiety also struggle with depression. And it's linked to other factors as well. And we know from the shows that we watch and the news that we read and the articles that we check out that anxiety in our culture is on the rise, not just among millennials, not just among Gen Z, but across the board, anxiety is on the rise. And so as we begin, we have to make a very clear distinction, and that is there's a difference between fear and anxiety. They're connected, but there's a difference. Fear is focused on a specific thing. So the fear of heights, the fear of spiders, the fear of missing out, it's focused on a specific thing. We have, may have a multitude of fears, but they're focused on one specific thing. Well, anxiety is actually a general thing. Anxiety is great because it just encapsulates a whole bunch of fears, and it incorporates every aspect of our life and our mind and our heart. And that's why when anxiety comes on, it feels as if it covers a multitude of facets. Soren Kierkegaard, who's an ancient philosopher, described anxiety like this. Anxiety is dread. It's dread for every aspect of your life, your mind, your heart. And fear is actually the fuel for anxiety. So what actually creates the dread and the anxiety that we experience are all of our fear, fears coming together and compounding upon each other in our heart and in our mind. So maybe it's the fear of being alone. Maybe it's the fear of being exposed. Maybe it's the fear of your health. Maybe it's the fear of your relationship that is on rocky ground, not getting better. Maybe it's the fear of you never finding a relationship in romance. Maybe it's the fear of your past trauma never going away. Maybe it's the fear of never achieving your dreams and your career for your life. Maybe it's the fear that you're going to be stuck where you're at now for the rest of your life. Or maybe it's the fear of death. We all have a multitude of fears, and our fears fuel our anxiety to create this dread that is either locked into our head and our life like a gear, or is a wheel that comes in certain seasons and moments when we're triggered to feel anxious. And it's really important that we, we understand something about anxiety, and that is that it wants to lie to you. See, the Bible never says, and Jesus never says this, listen, I know you're feeling anxious. Just stop. Just be positive. Just be grateful. You have so much to be grateful for. Why are you anxious? Fix yourself. Control your issues. You're a mess. Get better. And then I, God, am going to bless you and give you victory through your struggles. I'll help move you in the right direction. But you got to be more positive. You're so negative. You need to be more grateful for what you have. Fix yourself. The Bible never says that, and Jesus never says that. But the lie of anxiety is this. God has abandoned you. You're suffering alone. You shouldn't be suffering. It's irrational, and you need to get better. You need to think positive. You need to be more grateful. Why are you acting like this? Fix yourself. Control your mind. Think positive. 
Create a really nice self-care routine so you can get better. And then God is going to come and bless you and be near to you and give you that spiritual growth that you're seeking and help you work through some of the struggles in your life. Anxiety wants to tell you that. Why? Because when you feel as if God has abandoned you and you feel like, well, you just need to be grateful and positive, it just makes you more anxious. And that's the lie that anxiety wants to speak to you. But the Bible never says that, and Jesus never says that. In fact, the Bible is full of people who struggle with anxiety. Now, we're never told specifically that they have an anxiety disorder, but when we read the prayers and the songs written and spoken by many in Scripture, we can tell that they are struggling with anxiety. And maybe one of the most famous people in Scripture that deeply struggled with anxiety is King David. There's a lot of songs and a lot of prayers about his battle with this dread that he feels. Because all of his fears come together to create an anxious environment in his heart and his mind. And our passage this morning in Psalm 27 is written by King David, and he is feeling anxious. He is full of fear. He has a multitude of fears because he feels like everyone and everything in his life is out to get him. All of his fears and all the threats in his life are emerging upon him, and he feels out of balance, anxious, And he prays to God, and in verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Does that resonate with you? As he's feeling anxious and full of fear and all of his threats are emerging in his life, he prays to God and he says, God, I am confused. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I need you to teach me your way. And I feel out of balance I don't know where to step. I'm stepping up. I'm stepping wrong in the right place, the wrong place. My whole life is out of whack. I need you to teach me your ways, to give me guidance, and I also need you to level my path. I need some stability here because of my enemies. So, important question to ask yourself is what are your enemies? Oftentimes, when we hear the word enemies, we think people, and people can be enemies, but aren't the only enemies of our life. You see, enemies are anything that pose a threat to you. It's anything that seeks to weaken you. Anything that seeks to break you down. And that can be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. See, King David is feeling drained physically. He's feeling burnt out emotionally. He's feeling disconnected spiritually mentally exhausted because of his enemies. So Some of his enemies were people and some of his enemies were fears about what was going to happen, what was going to take place, and was he going to be able to move past this? All the different fears coming together. And so the question is, what are your enemies? What are those things that pose a threat to you emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, that are seeking to harm you? And I don't have to list out all the potential things that can be enemies because all of you are thinking about your enemies right now. You're thinking about all those things that you fixate on in your mind that affect your heart, that weaken you emotionally, those fears that come up time and time again. And this is where King David is at. He feels that way too. And he says, God, I need guidance. 
I need stability because of my enemies. And then he prays, verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. See, this is the torment of anxiety. As he feels confused and he's seeking guidance, as he feels imbalanced and he's looking for stability because of his enemies, he says, God, don't let my enemies, my adversaries overtake me. I feel as if they're trying to overtake me and there are false witnesses rising up against me. There are lies being spoken to me about who I am and what's going to happen and what's going to take place. Please don't let those things happen. I know their intention, which is they're looking to breathe out violence. They're looking to destroy. See, all of us that struggle with anxiety, whether it's a disorder that is locked in your mind and it's a constant repeated struggle of yours, or whether it happens in situations at times like a wheel rotating in and out of seasons of your life, we all feel that when anxiety arises. We feel confused, out of balance. We feel like our enemies are rising up against us. We feel lies being spoken to us that begin to pose a threat to us emotionally and spiritually and physically. We feel the weight of that dread. And this is where King David is. But we have to be honest about something. In a, in a society where anxiety is on the rise and in a city and in the church where many of us struggle with anxiety right now or will soon, we invent ways to feed our anxiety. We know we struggle with it, but we invent ways to feed it. For instance, you may struggle with your image. You may have a fear about your image, how people view you, whether or not they think you're attractive, whether or not they view you as successful. You may have a fear about your relationship that you're in and how people see that and whether or not it will get better. Or you may have a fear that you may never find a relationship. You may have a fear about getting stuck in your life and not achieving your goals and not being able to do the different things that you want to do and experience. And these are your fears that cause anxiety in your life, but then you spend multiple hours a day on Instagram and Facebook. And what happens? You feed your anxiety. You look at Instagram, you're like, wow, I'm never going to look like that. Look how successful they are. Look at their trips that they're taking. Those are amazing. I'm never going to eat that food. Why does it look so nice? Their relationship's amazing. Look at their dates. They're holding hands and they're always kissing and all the comments are so nice and there's hearts everywhere. And that person found love. I'm never going to find love. We feed our anxiety, but what we don't know, even though we do know it, but we forget it, is that it took 45,000 selfies for that one picture. The food didn't even taste that good. The vacation wasn't that great. The relationship is actually on rocky ground and it's the first time they've been out in six months. And that person that just found love felt just as you feel for years and years and years. But we don't see that. We just feed our anxiety as we go on Instagram and it becomes Insta mood. Right away. We should rename it Insta mood. Jump on. There's other ways that we feed our anxiety. Maybe you resonate with this one. It's a Saturday afternoon, and it's rainy, and you're relaxing, so you get to catch up on some shows, maybe watch a movie. You're going to read that book that's been sitting on your nightstand for years. So you sit down, you're laying on the couch, you're laying on your right side, and all of a sudden you feel, man, I got a little bit of a headache. So you sit up, and you're, you were laying on your arm, and your arm fell asleep, but now you're confused. Why is your arm 
asleep. You have a headache, your arm's asleep. It's probably because you haven't had enough water and you were laying on your right side. But then you think, maybe I should Google that. (laughs) And what happens? You realize that it's not that you just need to drink more water and you were laying on your right arm. You realize you're dying. Because anytime you Google your health, no matter your symptoms, you're dead. We feed our anxiety, even when it's irrational at times, we feed it and we give into it. How many of you here like to fly on airplanes? How many of you don't like to fly on airplanes? Right? See, I like to fly on airplanes as long as I don't have the middle seat and as long as I'm not on one of those airlines where they charge you to breathe, you know? As long as I have the aisle or the window, I like to have the little desk, I get out my notebook, I'll even pretend to take notes just because it feels important, you know? And then as long as you can get the coffee, I'm having a good time. But then sometimes when you're on the airplane, you get a little turbulence, boom, boom, whoa, okay? What do you do? Look at the flight attendants. What kind of face are they making? What are they doing with the cart? Why are they moving the cart back? Why hasn't the captain said anything in about an hour? Are they asleep? Are they alive? Are we on autopilot? Are we over the ocean? Where's the life raft? It's like, we know that you're more likely to get struck by lightning than anything to happen on an airplane. It took years of these pilots' life to be able to fly this plane and everything is gonna be okay and we're gonna land, but just a little moment causes us anxiety. We begin to feed it. Even when it's irrational, we'll feed it and give into it. But it happens time and time again because though anxiety can be irrational, it's not any less real. We feel that. So the question is, in a society where anxiety is on the rise, as people who feed it and give into it, how do we actually engage and care for it? How do we care for our anxiety to see growth and and victory? Because God does speak to that. 1 Peter 5 is a a passage that speaks so clearly to the issue of anxiety. I want to read verse 5 through 7. Peter says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Powerful passage. Speaking of anxiety and pride. There are three words that you can easily read right past. Can you guess what they are? I put them in all caps, if you can't guess. All of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, sometimes we can be anxious about being anxious. Ever been there? You're anxious about being anxious because you think nobody else is anxious. No, no, no. We all are. To varying degrees in different ways, in different situations, whether it's a gear locked in your mind or a wheel of your life, we struggle with anxiety. And so we need to read that, that this passage is actually for all of us. Not just those of us that struggle deeply with anxiety. All of us need to read this passage and realize that we're to clothe ourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because at its core, the issue with anxiety is an issue of pride. 
It's an issue of pride where we begin to think that only we are capable of caring for ourselves. And so we begin to care for ourselves in a place where only God is capable of caring for us. And so we begin to lose control because anxiety is about control. We feel as if we've lost control. We try to reestablish control in our mind, in our heart, in different areas of our life. We try to take control of our fears. And one of the ways that we do that is we create a really clear self-care routine. We look at our schedule and we balance our schedule. We're going to have work-life balance. We begin to add all these different elements that are going to affect all the levels of our well-being, our physical life, our mental life, our emotional life, our spiritual life. We remove toxic relationships. We begin to read books about how to train ourselves to think positive. And none of these things are bad. In fact, many of these things are good. But if you think that having a really elaborate and great self-care routine is going to get rid of your anxiety, it's not. Because that's pride thinking that only you can care for something that God is meant to care for. It's good to do those things to care for yourself and to bring rhythm in your life and remove toxic relationships and think positive and be grateful. Those are wonderful things. But ultimately, at its core, we're to clothe ourselves with humility and realize that when we feel as if we've lost control, that we don't need to seek to reestablish control to fix our anxiety, that we need to clothe ourselves in humility and realize that God actually gives grace to the humble. Now, some of you are thinking, this is a great sermon because I feel really good about myself because I never really feel like I lose control, so that must mean I'm really humble. Do you think that's true? No probably more prideful because you just think that you're in control of everything and that you can fix everything, right? All of us here struggle with pride, every one of us. Whether your pride manifests itself in anxiety when you feel like you've lost control and so you get anxious or whether or not your pride manifests itself in your false sense of control and feeling as if you can fix everything, a great picture of this in scripture is when the disciples are with Jesus and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they get in a boat and they're going to go straight across to the other side and the disciples feel like completely in control. They are expert fishermen. They have been on this lake so many times. They've taken this trek thousands of times. They have weathered storms. They know every in and out of the boat. And as they go across, a storm comes upon them. That's not abnormal. But this storm is heavy. This storm is scary. And at some point, as they're trying to figure out how to do the, the mass and pull the ropes and do everything, they lose control. And when they lose control, they panic. And they're full of anxiety. And they don't know what to do. And so they turn to Jesus, and he's sleeping. And they're not happy about that. So they run over to Jesus, and they shake Jesus awake. Say, hey, Jesus, glad you're having a nap. Uh, Peter's drowning, and uh, we're dying. So it'd be really nice if you could do something, because we've lost control here. And Jesus gets up, and he smooths the waters, and he calms the winds, and he reveals to them that they don't need to worry because he cares for them because he is with them and he is in control even when they felt like they lost control. 
You see, they felt like they had everything together and they were good, but God taught them a lesson that they're to clothe themselves in humility. And God gives grace to the humble. You see, whether or not you feel like you're in control all the time or you feel like you lose control often, all of us are called to do the same thing, and that is to cast. To cast our anxieties and to cast our pride upon God. That word is really important. Cast does not mean move from one place to another. It's not like when you're a kid and you come home from school and your parents say, please clean up your room. And you're like, okay. So you take all of your toys and you put them in the closet and then you shut the door and you say, it's all clean. You just moved it from one place to another. It's still in the closet. It's hiding in the darkness. And when you open the door, it's coming right back out. Casting is not moving your pride and anxiety just to a dark, hidden spot in your heart and in your life that is behind a door, but you know that when you open it, it's coming right back out. Casting is throwing it away. It's energetic, it's active, it's intentional, and it's done with joy. Casting is like when you end the school year and you get to take all of your notebooks and all of your folders and your trapper keeper. You guys remember trapper keepers back in the day? Now people are wearing fanny packs again, so we gotta bring trapper keepers back. You had your trapper keeper, your notebooks, all your folders that you use all throughout the year. They're beat up, and so you take them at the end of the year and you throw them away. And you are excited to throw them away, why? Because you know you're going to get new and fresh stuff for the next year. Those, those notebooks are all used up. That is what casting means. It is throwing your anxiety and your pride upon God with joy because you know he has something new and fresh for you. Something better. So you can get rid of all that old stuff. And throw it to him. And the reason that you can cast it to him is because you know he cares for you. That is so important. And that is where many of us go awry. Is that we forget that God cares for us. You see, our feelings follow our beliefs. And if we don't believe that God cares for us, and we're never going to cast our anxieties upon him. We're never going to humble ourselves before him, whether or not we think we're in control or when we lose control. And we're not going to see victory in those things that we struggle with, whether they're gears or wheels in our life. We remind ourselves that God cares for us. And that's why Peter says this in verse 8 through 10. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, seeking to destroy, seeking to confuse and to create imbalance in your life. Resist him firm in your ability to overcome your anxiety and your self-care routine. Firm in your what? Faith. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everyone struggles with this, not just you. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
You see, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believe that Jesus, who was God in the flesh, gave his life for you on the cross and took your sin and your guilt and your shame and your anxiety and your fear upon him and he paid for it and he was buried and he came forth victorious from the grave three days later and that through faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, you're invited into relationship with God and you can know you're forgiven and you're loved and you're accepted and that there is hope for your life no matter what you're facing. That is what faith assures you. And if you feel that, and if you know that through faith in Christ, why would you doubt that he cares for you? Why would you doubt it? You shouldn't. You see, the problem is, though we may believe that through faith, sometimes in our heart it gets covered with dust. We have to blow the dust off and remind ourselves that there's no way that we should doubt that God cares for us because he demonstrated to us his love in Christ on the cross. So how do you actually care for your anxieties? You know that God cares for you. And you remember that Jesus demonstrated his love for you on the cross. Every time that lie comes in your head to tell you that God has abandoned you and he doesn't really care for you, you remember that Jesus demonstrated his love for you on the cross and you cast your anxieties upon him and your pride upon him, throwing it with joy and then you come under God's mighty hand, as it says here. Under his hand, knowing that even when you feel like you've lost control, God can reestablish control and he will for your good. When you believe this, when you know and you remember and you cast and you come to God, you can actually receive what it says in verse 10, which is an after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is how you battle anxiety. That is how you engage in soul care, to see God bring victory as you cast it to him, as you know that he cares for you, as you remember his love for you, and as you come under his hands, seeing him to restore and establish and confirm and strengthen you. In closing, I want to do something a little bit different the very beginning, the first six verses of Psalm 27, where King David is full of anxiety, he's praying to God. I want to read that and pray that over you. And I want to ask you, uh, if you feel comfortable, just to close your eyes and listen. It's not, the verses won't be on the screen. And just listen. Allow this to be your prayer. Allow this to be your prayer as you come to him with your pride and your anxiety. Receive this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, when adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tents, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. 
and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. God, we thank you for the beauty of your word, your truth that you confirm to us, that you strengthen in our heart and our mind. We pray that you would restore us, that you would establish us on solid, stable grounds, that you would guide us in the midst of our confusion, that you would not allow lies to rise up against us, you would not allow our enemies to prevail over us, but you would give us rest and hope in your presence as we know that you care for us, as we remember that you have demonstrated your love for us, as we cast all of our anxieties and pride upon you, coming under your hand, knowing you're in control and feeling safe there. It's in Jesus' name we pray.